Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com will join me. We will break down Florida's Orange Bowl Classic victory over the South Florida Bulls and preview Wednesday's matinee against Stony Brook Seawolves, a pretty good team out of the American East, picked to win their conference in the preseason, go to the NCAA tournament, uh, and also could get the American East Player of the Year back for the basketball game. So, um, definitely hope that Florida is prepared and ready to play uh, as it is their final non-conference tilt before conference play begins on the 29th at Ole Miss. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to leave us a review at Apple, iTunes. Hit us up with the heart on Spotify. All feedback is welcome. We're going to start reading reviews on the show in 2022, which will be new, and we really look forward to that as well. So thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I am here with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric Florida bounces back, gets a win in the Orange Bowl Classic on, uh, I guess, what was yesterday? Saturday. Yeah, those days start to blend together. Uh, yeah, they do ultimately. And uh, uh, one that's um, a little bit of a similar script to some of the uh, the recent games that uh, maybe didn't go particularly smoothly, particularly off the top. But ultimately, the Gators led for most of it, had one you know near scare uh, at the end uh, where they cut it to a possession. But ultimately, the Gators get uh, get a win. Yeah, and I think um, it, it kind of goes without saying, anytime you can hold somebody to 18 points in the first half, even though you have 12 turnovers, uh, it starts with uh, Florida's defense. Yeah, and that definitely is aided by a South Florida team that's not very good offensively. But uh, the Gators, you know, still were able to, to limit some of the, the second chance opportunities that South Florida can get because they go hard after the glass knowing that they miss a lot of shots. So, uh, you know, pretty responsible on that end. Um, the Gators didn't uh, gamble quite as much as, as we've seen recently, um, obviously mixing the press a little bit, but we're just generally pretty solid and uh, South Florida hit a, a couple jumpers in a row that they wouldn't normally hit. And maybe it was like, oh, here we go again. But ultimately it wasn't here we go again. Uh, they kind of came back to earth and and overall, you know, a, a, a pretty good defensive effort. Yeah, I thought it was um, pretty solid. Florida obviously fell behind in the game 10 to 3. Um, just ice cold in an arena that historically has not been kind to Gator shooters, but also uh, both Caleb Murphy of USF and Anthony Deruji commented on how literally cold it was uh, in there um, after the game. But the Gators start the game two of 14. What did you see with the uh, early struggles, Eric? Well, uh, you definitely saw them kind of struggling to uh... – kind of again just kind of stress the defense with some of the five out stuff some of the some of the cuts away from the ball I, I also did think it was interesting they uh they also had a little bit of they would start in the the five out but um then you'd have that center like Colin Castleton in this case who would normally uh kind of be hanging out around uh, the top of the key beyond the three-point line he would go down and, and and post up and look to get a touch so uh, I actually didn't think that it was that terrible of, of offense really again there was just some individual moments where it just uh uh 
that, like I thought that there was just some some ill-advised drives. Some um, some of these post-ups where Colin Castle was pretty far from the rim, so it never really threatened um, exactly what – it was never that threatening that he was going to be able to just like turn it at hook shot or anything like that. And then, of course, you have some half-decent looks at three from a couple of guys that, of course, don't fall because the Gators have another – um, another shooting game that that wasn't great. Um, as you mentioned, maybe not the uh, the gym you want to be shooting in when you are struggling to shoot to start the season. And uh, a couple of those those uh, kind of rimmed out. So um, there, there was definitely some stretches of of, of tougher offense, I thought, um, as opposed to that that first kind of four minute stretch where it took them a while to get on the board. Um, but you know, it was just that it was about four minutes where uh, they weren't able to score. Yeah, oddly, Florida did put Tyree Appleby back in the starting line. Instead of taking Brandon McKissick out, they took Flan Fleming out. Fleming played 25 minutes off the bench, but I thought um, in addition to Flan Fleming, Florida did get quite a lift from their their bench yesterday, um, particularly uh, just a really another solid outing um, for, well, solid outings. I should make it just plural here for C.J. Felder and Jason Jatobo, Eric. Yeah, I would say that was probably Jason Jatobo's best game, I thought, uh, just kind of uh... – uh, the way that he was, especially when just like rolling to the hoop, the kind of gravity he was kind of soaking up and the amount of defenders that were concerned with his his kind of duck-ins and when he was rolling to the hoop. So I, I thought he was kind of more impactful than whatever. I think he maybe had two buckets. I, I think he's kind of more impactful offensively than, than that would suggest and grabbed some big boards and and was able to play pretty solid defense. And um, I, I definitely did think it was a little bit of an interesting decision to take Flanders Fleming out of the starting lineup to get Tyree Appleby in there. But I, I guess the one thing right now is it seems like Flanders Fleming is about the same player, regardless of whether he comes off the bench or or starts. And maybe they're kind of banking on, hey, he's going to be good no matter what. He seems to just get in rhythm, whether we start him or whether we take him off the bench. So uh, maybe they don't feel that same way uh, about uh, Brandon McKissick or something like that. So uh, it's, it's, you know, obviously he got 25 minutes, so it's not like he got cheated out there. Um, but uh, uh, again, it was one of those, things in the starting lineup where that's a starting or that's a that's a group that hasn't been great offensively um this season so you know am I surprised that they weren't able to score for four minutes I I would still say yes I'm still a little bit surprised because even you know even a group that hasn't been great for the Gators scoring should be able to score in four minutes against South Florida but it's also like yeah I mean if you start in a lineup that's not your best by the numbers you just kind of live with the fact that you're probably not going to have um the most possible success you could and then you hope you make it up when when Flanders Swimming gets in the game yeah, and to be fair to Brandon McKissick, a little bit better from him yesterday. Five assists, thought his ball movement was pretty good. Had one really ill-advised drive that didn't lead to a turnover because the ball just ended up kind of getting deflected out of bounds. And then had another drive where he did turn the ball over. But otherwise, um, you know, anytime you have five assists and only one turnover, that's pretty good. And he was two of four from deep. So saw the ball go down on a day when uh, not many Gators did. I did want to point out, uh, that I thought Florida, and I would compliment the coaching staff for this. I thought Florida ran a lot of nice stuff from Jones. Um, shots didn't go in. A lot of open looks, though, and that was good to see. Yeah, one thing that they added to the playbook, I tweeted it out, but they they went to this kind of stack screen where it's almost like a ball screen for the center, but behind the center is a shooter. In this one of the cases was Brandon McKissick, who hit one of those shots. Um, so. Uh, just kind of as soon as the ball screen is is set, um, 
Brandon McKissick, who was around the three point line, he just goes straight back, and it kind of, it's it's almost like a little bit like of the Spain screens you see a lot in the NBA and international basketball right now, where um, you would see Brandon McKissick in that situation set a back screen on um, Colin Castleton's defender. Um, and then pop out to shoot. So it was kind of like a simplified version of that, but it was really effective. I think they ran it four or five times and four or five times got a wide open three. Um, one of them was also a Daruji three where um, the defense kind of collapsed because they just seemed very unprepared to guard it, um, which uh, for a team that's pretty good defensively, I thought every time the Gators ran it, they got a good shot. So it was definitely nice to see uh, uh, to see that being utilized, uh, to see more stuff being ran for shooters. I, I think that was great. And um, again, it's one of those things where, I, I know I would differ on the opinion of this than I feel like most college basketball coaches, but I, I mean, in the NBA, you would literally see a team run that 15 times in a row until the defense stops it. You just don't really see that in college basketball. Coaches don't just like relentlessly go back towards a set un, un, until the other team figures out how to stop it. But that's just what I would have done if I was the Gators. Like every time they ran it, they got a good shot. Of course, not all your threes are going to fall, even if they're they're wide open. But you just got to be happy that there's wide open threes and especially one that just had South Florida so scrambled. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that one. I'm sure they're going to use it um, a lot more because uh, for even them to run it like five times in one game is, is a lot for the Gators to go to one set, just kind of in the way that they call plays. So um, that was one definitely uh, positive thing I would say that they added to the playbook. Yeah. I mean, just eight of 26 uh, from deep. And I thought, you know, ball movement was much better. Um, some of their screening actions were better. They were very good in the pick and roll when they went on the 17 to two run to over they were down 16 13 closed the half on a 17 2 run five of those points the first five actually were all kind of scramble points we had the the koasi reeves three off the backboard where dj patrick just fell down um and then kind of a scramble bucket to take the lead but after that got a dunk from castleton on the pick and roll another easy basket in the corner off a pick and roll um i forget who made the three but i thought florida was a lot better uh a lot better in that offense um, than we have seen too. Florida had a lot of good looks in the first half, didn't make a ton of shots. So I think when you look at this game, you know, kind of we try to be fair to the, to the staff and have been pretty critical. I thought a little bit better schematically on the offensive end. And they did that against what I think is a pretty good defensive team, um, South Florida. They do a really good job of getting into the gaps. Nice job of converging on the basketball when people drive. Um, you know, just kind of make life a little bit harder on offenses, Eric. And and I think a team that will defend at a high level throughout the year, regardless of their record. Yeah, again, I just um I, I think that we see or have seen with this team that there's just probably not enough individual creation to just keep flowing through motion offenses. I thought, you know, you mentioned that Brandon McKissick had one drive you didn't really or was it weren't really a fan of, I thought he had a couple of those where he just drove it into traffic and he just doesn't have the elevation or the length or really the touch to, to finish those at high, at a high rate. So he just kind of got stuffed a couple of times and um, same kind of thing with, uh, uh, with like, a even again, I think Flanders, Flanders Fleming, I think when he can attack in a straight line is really effective. Sometimes he likes to kind of back up guys down a little bit too much. Um, I just don't know how much this team is going to be able to just flow out of motion and, and kind of create offense. So I, I do think this team's going to have to be able to run sets. And, um, hey, you run a set for the first time this season. Uh, the Gators did like to run it for Noah Locke a couple years ago, so it's not like totally new to the playbook. But it's the first time they ran it. I thought uh, they ran it five times, and they had five really good looks. So um, <laughs> I think that that's a, that's a great sign. And I think it's maybe an indication that uh, – 
or may, or I think it should be an indication to the coaching staff that um, this is maybe going to be the way that they have to, to play a little bit more, a little bit more. Hey, we can't, let's not just do five out and pass and screen away and curl off Castleton and, you know, see what comes of it. It's, it might just have to be like, Hey, let's get our, let's get ourselves in a situation where our best driver, Tyree Appy has the basketball. Our best shooter is um, the second man in the stack screen. Um, whether it's, <laughs> I guess now we can debate who Florida's best shooter is. <laughs> um, and then, and then, you know, our, our best screener, Colin Castleton, you, and, uh, and you run stuff like that. So um, I'm encouraged to see what they, what they add next, because clearly they are tinkering. I thought that there was definitely a, a change in offense, um, uh, the last game against or against South Florida or sorry, against, against Maryland. I thought they, they added a few new things. Um, and then South Florida, obviously we saw them add, <clears throat> add this. So uh, clearly they're tinkering and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what they add next. Cause uh, I don't think they're done. Yeah, no, I thought, I mean, again, improved, um, but with the praise also has to come the criticism or, you know what? I'm not going to say criticism. I will say concern. And what concerned me, Eric, wasn't that, South Florida fought and kind of got back into the game. Like I think that you know the South Florida is a prideful team and they're playing in a neutral site in front of their fans and you know the Orange Bowl Classic. I'm sure that they were excited to play Florida too. Uh, but this was the second time and probably the best drop coverage that Florida had seen all year. And the that's when the comeback happened. Is South Florida kind of adjusted ball screen coverage starts dropping pick and rolls. And Florida really didn't have very good answers to that. No, I didn't think so. And one thing that's actually, I would think is probably a surprise to people. Um, I, and I think I'm going to write about it later today, but um, it, not regarding this necessarily, but about how to get this player going and maybe hitting more shots. But that's, uh, you know, Myron Jones is actually the best gator. Um, like pick and rolls ran by Myron Jones have been by far and away Florida's best pick and roll. Um, Tyree Appleby's numbers have actually been not very good. Um, which is mildly concerning, I would say. Um, or you could look at it as a, as a positive because his numbers were good last year and they were good at Cleveland State. And maybe that's one thing that helps Florida's offense is when Tyree Appleby gets right as a pick-and-roll ball handler. But, you know, Myron Jones has been the best pick-and-roll ball handler on the Gators this year. And he had two straight possessions where he just, you know, coughed it up badly. And that was in a in a situation. I forget who had the third one, but it was, yeah, those those three straight situations where, where Florida had three straight turnovers. And it was, you know, those turnovers – when you're on a side pick and roll and you turn the ball over, um, that that's going the other way for a layup. Elijah so, Kennedy had the third one. Oh, Elijah Kennedy. Okay. Um, so obviously that was a little bit concerning, um, especially because uh, again, Myron Jones has been Florida's best ball handler. I will say a couple of them were also Myron Jones running it on the right side of the floor, um, going towards the middle of the floor. And that means that he's dribbling with his left hand, which is not as effective. Um and I do think that's a little bit of a problem. So uh, when you look at that, like, you know, when you're looking back at this film and you say, how can we be better? I mean, well, yeah, Myron Jones can't just like cough it up as disastrously as he did. But again, if you're calling a pick and roll and you have a chance to get set up and space the floor exactly how you want, um, I would definitely consider getting a player like Myron Jones, particularly someone like him who's not super explosive at the first step. Uh, you've got to set it up in the best way possible for him. And that's probably getting to his right hand, not his left hand. So uh, again, just little things that um, we'll maybe look on them for to improve on. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with, with all of that. I think, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why Florida has, seems to this is the second straight year we've kind of talked about florida struggling a little bit with drop coverage pick and roll 
Uh, we saw it in the SEC tournament last year that, you know, Vanderbilt really, really made Florida fight and claw for that win. And obviously the Gators had zero left when they played Tennessee the following day. Um, you know, they, they just seem to get stuck against those drop coverage, pick and roll defenses. Um, it was so interesting to see. And I don't, I don't, you know, Eric and I will let you guys, or maybe Eric won't, but I will certainly let you, the listener, decide whether you think it's because of the actual scheme of the hedge or because Florida practices against it at all, all the time. But Florida really had the ability to eviscerate USF's hedge defense. Um, but again, kind of got stuck, and that's how a 16-point lead uh, shrinks to three, really. Um, I didn't think Florida really let down defensively. That was kind of the prevailing thing that I saw on Twitter. I had the benefit of watching this game after it had ended. Um, so I could see like the Twitter reaction and then kind of judge for myself. And I didn't really think Florida – slipped too much defensively. They just weren't getting good looks on offense. And, you know, that South Florida kind of clawed back in slowly. Yeah, it was one of those situations where Florida dropped in Ken Palm in both offense and defense after this one. So it was one where it was like, you know, they didn't do outstanding from a points per possession standpoint defensively against a team that's brutal offensively. And, um, you know, and they obviously – uh didn't do particularly well offensively against what's I, I think a better defense than, than their uh, Ken Palm rating would suggest, yeah, that's pretty good. you know, pretty um, good. but right now the numbers are, you know, with that, they just, just saw them drop. But um, like my theory too, with that, especially you kind of saw with those Byron Jones pick and rolls and, and why I think Florida struggles with teams that drop is like the whole concept or the whole reason why you play drop coverage is that everyone can stay home on shooters and that's what you're just really trying to not give up when you play drop coverage. You're not trying to what, what you're trying to really eliminate is the guy that comes off a screen, sees a help defender and passes it right into the shooting pocket of the player whose defender left because you don't want to turn a pick and roll into a wide open catch and shoot three. So Florida is a team that I don't think attacks off the pick and rolls looking to get a shot for the ball handler or looking to get a lob up to Colin Castleton for a dunk. They've always been a team that again, because they're so kind of motion oriented, especially when they play dribble drive, the idea was never, Hey, the, the, we're running a pick and roll and it's going to end in this pick and roll. It's like, Hey, can we get the defense scrambled and then hit the open shooter? And then he can attack a closeout and then he can pass it to another guy who can attack a closeout. And like, that's kind of like how they wanted to play offense. And, uh, drop coverage is just like, no, we're not giving you that initial advantage situation. Um, the player with the ball is going to come off the screen and he's the one who's going to have to make a play preferably in the mid range. So that that's just been like, again, a, a really good way of, of combating Florida's kind of offensive mindset. So uh, like you mentioned, I mean, the Gators are going to see it in the sec. So uh, you, you hope that they're maybe a little bit more prepared for that and uh, we can see a better pick and roll performance. Yeah, I think that would be good. Uh, and then I would mention again, for about the fourth or fifth time this season. Um, when Florida had some issues defensively, it was a lot of times getting caught in switches, whether that was when uh, USF was able to get early buckets underneath, feeding the post, and Colin Castleton had been away from the basket. Get Florida gets caught in a switch, and it's a post working on Myron Jones usually, uh, Brandon McKissick some. Um, or uh, other times when it was – some other unfavorable matchup on Caleb Murphy, who has such a beautiful shooting stroke. I'm really confused as to why he's such a low percentage shooter. Um, Cause it really does look nice. Um, you know, so I think Florida, both of those things maybe are things that, that Florida's going to want to get addressed. 
pretty quickly. And, and I would say maybe even very quickly, considering that uh, watching Dayton Ole Miss last night, Hermit Davis uh, was not at all afraid to, to drop pick and roll coverages against Dayton, a team with kind of similar schematic issues to Florida. Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things that you're seeing more and more for a reason. And like, uh, again, for someone like me, who is obviously so interested in what goes on on the college basketball landscape and trying to see what has worked across the, the landscape to, to win at a high level, you're just seeing less and less of the, the flat edge ball screen defense. And uh, I think that the, when, the, when you see less and less of that and you see more and more drop coverage, um, there, there's, there's probably a reason why, you know, to be honest. So I guess we'll see in the middle of SEC play, if that's something we're coming on the podcast to say, well, once again, Florida was um, unable to guard in pick and rolls or, Hey, Florida was struggling to, you know, attack this kind of pick and roll defense. Um, we will see, but again, like the level of coaching in the SEC is just so high that uh, uh, it's not just the teams at the top. It's the teams like you were mentioning, like Ole Miss or um, like a, like a Vanderbilt who had their way with Florida's pick and roll defense. I mean, it's just, it's such a, important part of basketball, both offensively and defensively, that um, a lot of every team's kind of season is is kind of determined by how well do they guard pick and rolls and how well do they score to pick and rolls. Yeah, no question. Uh, one thing I will say about the, the kind of drop pick and roll coverage and the, the need for the ball handler to kind of at least be able to create some or hit a mid-range jump shot was, and I don't think this had anything to do with any of that um, in the game flow yesterday, but we did see Wacey Reeves get six minutes to Elijah Kennedy's three. And I thought probably the roughest. So if you watch Elijah Kennedy's three minutes and maybe if, if you're a Gator fan and you record every game and, and you're interested in this, watch Elijah Kennedy's three minutes from yesterday. Cause I thought it was probably his worst three of the season. Um, he had two turnovers, one Eric mentioned in the pick and roll on a drive to nowhere. He throws the ball away on another, um, which is one of the three straight turnovers that made it 10 to three very early he did not see the floor again. And I thought you also saw why he plays in that three minutes though. Like he plays very good on ball perimeter defense. And it's a problem that, you know, Eric has mentioned, we talked about it on the last podcast. The Gators aren't terrific at guarding on the ball in the perimeter. Elijah Kennedy is actually probably from what I'm seeing, kind of an upgrade out there, at least as a, the way he moves laterally. Um, but he's got to hit an open jump shot and he missed a wide open three on a beautiful action yesterday. Uh, and then had two turnovers in his three minutes. We saw Wacey Reeves play six minutes. And, you know, I I think that he's still a little rigid. He's not used to this level of competition defensively. He's still figuring it out. But, again, I mean, we're almost bro- in the broken record stage. I think this is the third podcast. But he's got to play a little more in my mind because he's somebody that can just find buckets for Florida on offense. Yeah, I, I think that this is kind of what you'd like to see. It may again, would you have liked to have seen Kwesi Reeves play a little bit more? It's like, yeah, I think the spread in this game was 17. So yeah, you would have liked if Florida was up by more than, you know, five or six, like it kind of felt like for most of the second half. So you could get someone like Kwesi Reeves in a little bit more. But I, I think you like to see him get in the game and, and put up at least two threes because again, this is one of those situations where uh, I, I hope that it's kind of looking at the long view and looking down the line and saying, 
hey, through the sample size we have seen, we do not have adequate length on the perimeter. We don't have adequate shot creation. We don't have adequate shot making. Um, we see Kwesi Reeves as, as, as someone who can make that happen. So let's get him in now and, and let's make sure he's able to put up a few shots and and just get those valuable reps. So it, it's definitely tough for someone like Elijah Kennedy who comes in the game, takes one three and it doesn't go well, you know, has a pick and roll, it doesn't go well. And that's kind of it. That was kind of the situation we saw with, with Niles Lane a little bit last year where it's like, got in the game and was ice cold because he'd been sitting for, you know, 40 minutes or whatever the, the time from warm up to the last four minutes of a game of the first half where he'd come in and he'd have to take a shot. And if it, you know, wasn't on, it was like, well, it's kind of back to the starters. It's, 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 it's tough, but at the same time, Hey, that's, that's basketball. And that's how you carve out a role. And we saw Elijah Kennedy hit some of those shots earlier in the season and earn himself a little bit of a role. But um, I, I just hope that this is, this is definitely forward thinking from the staff. Who's like, Hey, we are going to need a Kowasi Reeves um, in sec play, especially when we start seeing not South Florida athletes, but LSU athletes or insert whoever. And uh, hopefully it's these opportunities where he comes in the game and, you know, puts up two threes that, that are valuable. But I think like you said, it would have been nice if it was maybe 12 minutes and not six. Yeah. And I'm hoping that maybe there's a chance for that as we transition out of, um, you know, well, let's let's not transition out of South Florida just yet. Sorry, folks. I wanted to mention uh, Anthony DeRuji and his game because I thought, you know, we've kind of glossed over a lot of people, but maybe I don't know if it was Anthony's best game of the season, but I love that he was competing on the glass again because I think Florida is going to continue to have, and we, we've said this a few times, they're going to have to rebound collaboratively in SEC play and really, really good from Anthony DeRuji. Uh, on the glass in particular. That's kind of one of those things we've kind of talked about, uh, about a couple of players on the Gators, kind of like a Jason Jatobo, like, hey, can you dominate a smaller matchup? Or with Colin Castleton, it's like, hey, can you dominate a smaller matchup? Which was kind of like, you know, Colin Castleton was quiet for a lot of this game. But you look at Anthony Deruji where it's like, you know, he kind of shows up in a situation where it's like, hey, you should be able to out-athlete everyone on the floor. And he actually does. So I think that that's a positive sign because, again, you're looking at a team like the Gators who don't have a lot of plus athletes with plus size or plus length um, on the roster. So you need guys like like Deruji that are going to help you when you against these these SEC teams that are really active and, and really athletic. So. Uh, to see just kind of like the general consistency game to game. I, I actually love that he was able to get four pretty good looks at, at three and hit two of them. Um, you know, I think he's up to like 45% or something from three uh, yeah. on a low, low yeah. sample size, small sample size. But uh, it's it's also one of those situations where it's like, well, if you get good quality shots, your shooting percentage is going to be better. So he's actually another guy actually too. I, I would like to see Drew take a few more shots. I don't think he's a great shooter, but as as long as he's getting balanced and getting his feet underneath him, um, it's, uh, it seems to be a good shot for him. And, uh, again, Drugi is a guy who, who really struggled with shot selection, um, early in his time at Florida. Um, I, I think his shot selection has gotten so much better and I almost think he's, uh, almost went, you know, too far to the other side of the spectrum where he's only taking like a plus shots. And the reason he's 45% from three is because he's only taken a plus shots. But, um, I kind of am at the point where I wouldn't mind. He takes some a minus shots, um, just kind of the way he shot the ball so far. Yeah, you teed me up. Had a nice text exchange with a staff member last night um, just saying, hey, man, I thought Anthony played really well. And the text back was, you know, Anthony's so smart and so friendly and so nice to everybody that he doesn't realize how, like, athletic and, you know, I also think sometimes he's not as competitive as he should be, uh, which I thought was interesting. 
And then, you know, I was saying, well, he certainly was competitive yesterday. And he said, yeah, but he made the extra like two times when he should have just shot. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So Eric Fawcett seeing the same thing as people on the Florida bench. I'm not surprised by this in at all. But uh, anyway, kind of massage the Fawcett ego just a little bit here with uh, that fun text exchange for, for Gator listeners. Well, thank you, Neil. I appreciate that. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, yeah, again, I think it is a little bit obvious. Again, anytime you look at a shooter that is is shooting forty five percent from three, and um, again, like he's you know throughout his career hasn't been a plus shooter, um, and even sometimes like he had a miss from a corner in this one where like yeah, his mechanics didn't look great. It hit the front of the rim from the corner, and that's you know that's that's not a great miss from the or it wasn't really close from the corner. But um, again, I, I I think you're looking up and down this this roster and. It's like, hey, who would you, what you know, what shot would you like more than a decent wing three from Anthony Deruji? Um, you know, there's not a lot of like options out there that are that are you know really great. So, um, I, I think just the one last thing I would want to talk about, and this could maybe be quick depending on what you think. Um, but uh, once again, we have uh, Myron Jones really struggling from the perimeter. Just curious if you have you know any takes regarding that. I mean, is somebody. Uh, I think Brett Adams, somebody on Twitter that has listened forever, asked me what I thought yesterday. And my kind of response was, well, I thought they needed to do what they did yesterday um, for him as a staff. I mean, they ran stuff for him. They clearly told him to shoot more because he led the team in attempts by five or, yeah. I mean, he had 13 attempts. Uh, nobody else had 10. Castleton had nine. Um, he had three makes. One of them was – uh, you know, the very high percentage floater that he made in the first half, um, that little scoop floater that he takes that seems to go in quite a bit. Um, and then one of seven from deep. And I would say six of those seven threes, Eric, were off actions, not five out, that were good looks. And then one of them, Florida was scrambled and he shot from like 27 feet and Deruji got the rebound and put it back. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I did think he took some some good looks at it. Um, I was looking actually at his shot chart, and something that I think would surprise a lot of people is that unquestionably the worst. Like if you look at college basketball on the whole, and you look at the Gators on the whole over the last you know ten years, um, though by far and away the worst spot to shoot a three on the floor is straight on. And I think that that would surprise some people because I think a lot of people think that that's like, you know, you're you're looking at a nice square backboard from that angle. Um, it's just a very natural kind of kind of spot. But it is like, you know, the corners are by far and away the highest efficiency. The, the 45s are lower and then straight on threes are like they like they drop off like it's it's a huge shelf like the 45s are much closer to corner threes in terms of efficiency than straight on and that was the case before the three-point line moved back and uh it's 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 still the case um but however backing up on that um myron jones his best spot on the floor right now um this season has been the straight on threes and my, my theory is is it's really related to the way that he shoots the ball bringing it from the left side of his body and kind of shooting in front of his face like i, I he just covers so much of his eye line when he shoots and when he brings the ball around that i, I think it's making those corner threes kind of really poor and that's why we've seen some of those air balls that go like way too far to the right or hit the side of the backboard. Um, 
I, it's just one of the problems with his shooting motion. And I know a lot of people are just kind of like, Hey, you got, you know, you do what, uh, what feels natural. That's never been my opinion um, as a, uh, to teach someone how to shoot. And again, it's not like he's going to change it in the middle of the season or anything like that, but it's just the, the, the fact of the matter is someone who shot the ball like that his whole life, or I'll, I'll say his whole college career. Um, it's going to make some of those corner shots or some of those angled threes much tougher. So um, kind of knowing that he shoots the ball best from straight on um, seeing the Gators run some of those stack screen actions. Um, I think that Myron Jones is the perfect candidate for that because uh, that's, it generates a straight on three, which is not as good of a shot for Brandon McKissick, even though he did hit one of them. Um, but it's a great shot for, for Myron Jones. So uh, again, I think I'm going to write something later about uh, Myron Jones and how to get him going a little bit more. Um, talk a little bit about his three or uh, his, his pick and roll kind of efficiency. Um, see how the numbers dropped, I guess, after his turnovers, but you know, uh, still been a pretty good pick and roll ball handler because um, for a team that struggles to score, I think that uh, the easiest thing for them to look about how do we get better offensively? It's like, well, we've got this one guy who is kind of proven to be a scorer. How do we get the most out of him? Yeah. I mean, he's a guy that if he starts shooting, well, you feel quite a bit better about Florida's offense, honestly. Um, and I, I do think, you know, and if you start feeling better about Florida's offense, I still think this team, I don't think they're going to be a top 10 Ken Palm defense. I think that, that Eric and I have been kind of on top of that all season. I think they can be a top 25 Ken Palm defense and that's pretty good. Um, in fact, you know, percentage wise, that's basically an elite defense, uh, just not like the, the upper echelon of the elite. Um, but Florida's got to be a little bit better offensively if they want to achieve some of the goals they have and they've got to get Myron Jones going if they do that. You know, Billy Donovan used to run those stacked high ball screen actions for Kenny Boynton because he was better facing the basket too because he had a weird kind of elongated um, motion with his shoulder that caused him to cover his eye angle a little bit when he finished. Um, If you watch some Kenny Boynton videos, speaking of guys who shot really well at BB&T or Florida, whatever they're calling it these days where the Panthers play, uh, Kenny Boynton used to love playing in Broward County, and he also loved shooting facing the basket. Was never a corner three shooter, but Myron, the only one he hit yesterday was in the corner. So who knows? Um, uh, I, or I'm just I'm now thinking to myself, would I agree with you about the Gators? This is very different than the point you were just making, but um, do I think the Gators are going to finish in the top twenty-five of of Ken Baum's defensive efficiency? And my my gut is to say no, but I don't know if I want to lock in an official guess. But uh, I well, I I forgot what we said in our preseason predictions. I know it wasn't twenty-five. I don't think I think it was maybe a little bit higher, and we both said they were going to be lower than that, but. Um, yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting to see. But uh, again, if they hover about where they are right now, um, they're 27th, they could very well get into the top 25, but you know, right now they're 48th in offense. So that's certainly when you're looking at, uh, where can the Gators improve? There's a lot more headroom on the offensive end than there is on the defensive end. Yeah, no, there is. And I mean, although Florida state has certainly, uh, struggled to say it, to say the least, um, on the offensive end, uh, and Maryland is only an average offense. Florida has played uh, some teams that typically are a little bit better offensively. Uh, so far, they're going to see some teams that aren't quite as good offensively in the SEC, but some teams that are really high-level defenses in the SEC as well. So um, who knows? Maybe their Kim Palm ratings end up staying right about where they are. Some of it will just improve based on who they're playing as well, if they have good uh, we will see, Eric. One thing that they really need to show me that they can do 
uh, is beat a team that's really, really fundamentally sound and runs good stuff. And they're going to play one Tuesday afternoon uh, in at Zach Tech Arena when Stony Brook uh, from the America East comes to visit. Yeah, um, just quick correction. I believe it's Wednesday. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but Wednesday a- afternoon is definitely correct, um, which, again, You're that's correct. A, it is, that's it a- is Wednesday afternoon. I'm sorry. Yeah, tough scheduling, man. Two two o'clock Eastern. Um, for me, that's a problem. I will not be able to watch this one um, live for, um, for a holiday luncheon. So uh, uh, unfortunately, you won't be seeing tweets from me live maybe later. Um, hopefully it's a fairly uneventful game and there's nothing crazy for me to have to be like, oh, here's the set that Stony Brook has ran, you know, 50 times a season to success and they just got the Gators on it or lineup data or anything like that. So let's just hope for a nice smooth one. But um, again, Neil, you mentioned like, in like, I don't know, freaking July about how this was like looking like it could be a trap game for the Gators. And now you see like, you know, a team with, I, I think uh, like in their top 12 rotation, I think that they have like nine seniors and, and two juniors. Um, they run really good offense. Um, I don't think they're particularly talented defensively, but they're responsible defensively. And you're playing at like a matinee right before Christmas. <laughs> like uh, there's definitely some uh, potential, like, like you pointed out for, uh, things to go a little sideways. So I think it's uh, it, it kind of makes sense that you've got a potential, you know, minefield in front of you here, just uh, uh, whether it's going to be a quieter gym or a veteran opponent or um, anything like that. Um, I guess we still don't know the status of Brandon McKissick who came down hard on, on his arm. Um, but uh, you just, this is, this is one where you could certainly see how the wheels could come off. So you just want to see the Gators um, approach it maturely and, and take care of business. Yeah, I mean, the main thing with with Stony Brook is that they are old, uh, and I do think they run good offense. And like you said, nothing fancy defensively, just kind of fundamentally sound, stay in their stance. Um, one thing that they have done is won four straight games without Elijah Olanayi, who is a weird guy that proves the, the strange world of the transfer portal. Um, leaves Stony Brook, goes to Miami, to kind of be a part of this Miami team that was supposed to like conquer the universe last year. And then uh, Earl Timberlake got hurt. Everything kind of went south after that. The Canes weren't very good. And Elijah Olenai said, you know what, forget it. I'm headed back to Long Island uh, to to play for Stony Brook. And then he gets hurt in their third game. Well, he's going to play Wednesday against Florida from uh, preliminary reports. So, they will get their star player, who was many people's America East Player of the Year pick, back uh, as well. So if you want a trap game, big red flags all over it, I kind of feel like this is uh, a little bit of that, Eric. Yeah, I was not aware of that, so that's a great note from you, Neil. Um, I, I love like one of the kind of cool parts about how – well, I think it's cool. It's interesting, if nothing else, but about how prominent transfers are. Um, I'm a huge fan of the boomerang transfer. I just think that's like really interesting where some of these mid-major, low-major players are like, hey, I want to go try out the, the high-major situation. And then um, it doesn't work out for whatever reason. And then they go back. It obviously shows that they didn't burn any bridges. The coaches didn't burn any bridges. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, just, I just think that's pretty interesting and kind of cool where um, a player obviously – went after the bright lights of, of high major basketball and saw that, Hey, there's still a good situation for me in the America East, which is a conference that kind of has produced some kind of plucky underdog, um, really effective kind of under or, uh, upset alert kind of teams in, in March. So um, for them to uh, who've been, you know, they've been pretty solid this year for them to get a player like that back who can obviously compete at the high major level. 
Um, just another uh, uh, another situation where um, you can see where you know things could be tough for the Gators, and especially because kind of overarching theme, they have been very good offensively this year. They have not been so good defensively. So getting some of that, uh, you know, pretty solid athlete at least for that level, definitely, um, that's pretty big for them. And and one of the things that has been um, unfortunate for them is is again just how small they play. They often play with two six foot. Um, on the nose guards in the backcourt. Um, they often play with, uh, you know, a six foot seven, 210 pound center. So like you look up and down their lineup and Anthony Roberts has been their best player. Who's like a six foot four guard. Who's really smooth, can really get in the paint. Um, but it's, it's like, you know, you look up at their best lineups and it's like, yeah, six foot, six foot, six, three, six, four, and six foot seven. Um, that's pretty tough when you're playing the high major teams. They played Kansas earlier in the season and Kansas just overwhelmed them with size. So uh, definitely for a uh, pretty good player for them to get back. Yeah, it's big. And, and, you know, another thing that they do that, you know, we, we mentioned, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about their offense in a minute. We, we mentioned how they're fundamentally sound defense. One way that they're fundamentally sound defensively is that they don't foul. Um, you know, I didn't look at their Kim Palm today, but I think they're in the top 25 in the country and uh, foul rate, which means they're not sending teams to the free throw line uh, on defense, which means Florida is going to have to make shots. Uh, and so, you know, that hasn't been the easiest thing for the Gators this season. And I think, if you get a guy like Elijah Olanayi back, who's just kind of a big, rugged, physical wing, um, you know, it's it's yet another guy that you're going to have to make sure you you shoot over and and make buckets. Uh, it's going to be a big one, and and again, I think that. Uh for the Gators who want to get right on the offensive end, this is kind of the team you, you want to play against. But my one, like, I don't know if I, I was about to say my one fear. I, it's not a fear, but like, like, again, like if you, uh, Stony Brook for much of the game is going to have um, a six foot seven, 210 pound center on the floor. So I think it would be fairly easy for the Gators to be like, yeah, we're going to post up Colin Castleton, you know, 50 times and it's probably going to work well enough. But again, I don't know exactly if that's how you want to be moving forward in your journey to get better offensively. Because, you know, with all due respect to Colin Castleton, maybe someone's going to disagree with this. I'm not sure what you think, Neil, but I don't think Florida's roadmap to playing better offense in the SEC is to post up Colin Castleton a ton. Um, I think just at this point in his career, uh, even what we see in the non-conference versus some of the better teams, like Colin Castleton is a, is a good post-up player. I don't think he's a great post-up player. So um, if the Gators are like, man, how do we get better than 48 offensively? I, I just, I don't think the answer is necessarily a bunch more posting up. So um, I'm kind of curious to see if the Gators continue to try to um, add stuff to the offensive playbook or continue to just do stuff out of their 5-0 to try to build there. Or if it's just like, hey, what are we going to do to beat Stony Brook to the best of our ability and by the most points. Cause, cause you know, that then could be let's post up con Castleton and let him take 20 hook shots. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're that that's, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I still think Florida's best offense is going to be trying to get Flan Fleming and Tyree Appley vertical to the basket and see what happens when those guys get downhill and can make plays. Um, we saw, even at the end of the half, it was came from a weird angle, but at the end of the half of the USF game, just Flynn Fleming getting the ball, getting one-on-one with the defender and going towards the basket, and Florida ends up with a nice bucket to extend the lead to 12. Um, you know, that's going to be, I think, the best 
option for Florida. Is Colin Castleton good enough to score in the post from time to time? Yes. Should that be the sun in which, you know, the Florida offense orbits? No, absolutely not. And I, I'm with you on that hundred uh, percent, Eric. One other thing I'd like to see Florida do is, is slow down Jaleel Jenkins, who I think is one of the most underrated players in mid-major college basketball. Um, just really, really exciting to watch kind of a poor man's Kennedy Chandler, who, uh, we'll all be very well acquainted with within a month. Um, uh, you know, maybe a, a middle-class man, Savir Wheeler. Um, <laughs> but uh, just does a really nice job of getting defenders on his hip and then blowing by them. Um, Florida not terrific at guarding that kind of stuff so far this season. Could be a player that presents some problems for the Gators. Yeah, fifth-year player. Um, played at um, Farley Dickinson beforehand. So, obviously, you're dealing with a very uh, – very veteran player. Um, and I think he's, you know, was, I think he started even maybe right away there. So uh, yeah, he's played a lot of basketball and played in NCAA tournaments a couple of years back. So uh, I think the other thing too, just about the way that uh, Stony Brook plays is, is uh, they could, they have a lot of really good shooters. Um, their uh, center. Um, oh, what's it? I forget his name. Frankie Policelli. Um, he, uh, he was, shoots 38% from three. Jaleel Jenkins himself shoots 38% from three. Um, and then Tyler Stevenson Moore shoots 46% from three. So a lot of their offenses, well, they, they actually run a lot of the five out stuff. Um, I was watching some of their, some of their clips earlier today and they were doing the pin down into dribble handoffs that I love so very dearly. Um, so they're doing that over and over and over again, um, using flare screens on the weak side to generate corner threes and really good offense. But again, a lot of it is like, can you get Jaleel Jenkins or the player I mentioned earlier, Anthony Roberts, can you get those guys going towards the paint? And um, yeah, especially because again, if you get Jaleel Jenkins or Anthony Roberts going towards the paint, it's like, you know, you've got three guys who are 38% plus three point shooters um, around the floor. And one of them's a center. So you're spacing out a Colin Castleton, like they really can shoot. So uh, you, you can see how they can score with a team like the Gators. Um, I just don't really see how um, you, a, a team that's just so undersized like this is, is really able to kind of hang with the Gators on, on the other end. Yeah, I think defense is going to be their the what the the foil to their upset bid, and I also think, you know, it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that league because I think Vermont is more capable of winning a game in the NCAA tournament than Stony Brook, but Stony Brook is kind of built for league play in a low major. I mean, they can really shoot; they're super efficient, and also they're way deeper than Vermont. Vermont plays like six guys. And I think Stony Brook has seven that average 20 minutes or more and nine over 10 minutes. So Gino Ford, their head coach, really uses his bench. I don't think they'll divert from that or shorten their rotation against Florida in any way. And, and we saw Texas Southern just running bodies at the Gators, kind of wore Florida down. Um, so, you know, Florida would be wise to, to try to – get on top of this game early. And, you know, if that means Mike White has to play the best plus minus starting lineup, then so be it, Michael. Yeah, we'll see. And again, I think here's a situation where um, I kind of thought Brandon McKissick's perimeter defense um, wasn't quite good enough the other day. Um, you know, I thought that uh, Anthony DeRugge, his perimeter defense wasn't so good the other day. Um, well, again, you look at Stony Brook. Well, at, at the four, it could be Anthony Roberts, who's only like six foot four and 200 pounds, but those are the kind of guys they play power forward. So again, um, a guy who's really a guard against Daruji, who I don't think has been particularly explosive moving side to side, um, that could be giving up dribble penetration. Jaleel Jenkins, like you said, if 
if he at 160 pounds and crafty is getting guarded by Brandon McKissick, let's see how good they can guard in the perimeter because uh, uh, that's kind of the, again, we've, we mentioned over and over again, I, I think that there's a world where they are really able to put up points on the Gators. So um, I'll be definitely looking to see who can, um, you know, who can guard on the perimeter. And if that's not the case, can it be an Elijah Kennedy coming off the bench? Is this a, uh, you know, we, we've seen Elijah Kennedy and Kwesi Reeves kind of get their couple of shifts to, to see what they can do. Is this Niles Lane's chance to try to uh, get back into the rotation? Um, those will be kind of some of the, the lineup type things I, I'm looking to see. Yeah. And so people that are wondering, you know, what a seven and four Stony Brook team's resume looks like, I would say they're one and two against NCAA tournament type teams. Now, they were behind by one point to Kansas at Fog Allen at halftime, so much to the extent that I texted Eric Fawcett and was like, oh, this is interesting. And then Bill Self did not give Kansas Capri Suns and orange slices at halftime. Uh, and the second half went very poorly uh, for the Seawolves. But they did beat Yale, who I think um, either Yale or Cornell will win the Ivy League. And then um, they – were blown out by George Mason in a game where George Mason thoroughly dominated. Um, but George Mason has thoroughly dominated a lot of people, including Georgia. So, uh, you know, no shame in that. Well, and if you want to play the transitive property game, they beat Hofstra who just beat Arkansas. Whoa. Um, so that's uh so that's a pretty, and, and Hofstra who also played Hofstra's an overtime game. Yeah. They played an over. And again, not to just get, we don't have to talk about SEC on the whole, but bunch of people were like, wow, Hofstra beat Arkansas. That's just like the Gators losing to Texas Southern. It's like, well, Hofstra played Houston to overtime. They played a tight game with Iona. They only lost to two by Maryland. So like, you know, maybe not so shocking they were able to hang with Arkansas, who I think a lot of us thought was overrated, but that's a different note. But anyways, point being, I actually do think Hofstra is a really good team. I think that's the best team they've beaten. And, yeah, that's uh, actually true. Two and know, two. I would give them two and two. My bad. Well, yeah, well, and, and Hofstra, and they beat Hofstra by 17. So Hofstra yeah. beats, uh, you know, Arkansas by three possessions, and they lose to Stony Brook by, um, you know, by 17. So uh, I think Stony Brook's a better team than South Florida, for example. I, I don't know if you agree with that. Um, the ma- the matchup would be, you know, a little bit interesting because they don't have the front court athletes that South Florida has. But it's like, well, Florida just played an 11-point game with South Florida, and I think Stony Brook's better than them. So, you know, where does that leave you? We will uh, we'll find out on this, uh, you know, beautiful matinee game on SEC Network Plus. Yeah, no, it was so funny. Uh, you know, I was at the Davidson-Radford game yesterday, uh, cheering on Coach Nichols and and taking that in. Uh, and I thought that they fought and, and played Davidson really well for about 30 minutes uh, and then kind of just got overwhelmed. But I was having some chats with uh, some, some Radford folks and the Gators came up because that's where – Darius is from and and they said, Oh, you know, I've seen Florida a couple of times. They just defend so well, you know, when they get to the NCAA tournament, that'll, that'll really suit them well. And, you know, my thought was watching Davidson. I said, you know, I actually think this is the first time I'm going to be very worried in the first round for Florida, because if they play a Stony Brook type team or a Davidson or somebody that can just, that's just highly skilled and maybe has an athleticism deficit, like it, I don't know how much it's going to matter. So point being this game scares me a little bit. Uh, it scared me in July. It still scares me. I'm worried that Stony Brook's coming in hot. I'm worried that it looks like their best player is going to play. Um, he might be the best player in the American East. I mean, you know, a lot of things. The Gators better have their heads on a swivel. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I certainly by no means do do I, you know, do I want the Gators to lose this game? Not even close, but i got to say, Neil, you were the one who said ever since this game was scheduled that you were scared for it. So, 
I, I hope there's like a two minute stretch where Stony Brook just goes off just to remind people how good they are, because um, it'll look smart for you who, you know, called that this was going to be a tight game. But um, I, you know, again, just like we see in the NCAA tournament, it's um, it, it still is really tough for these teams that don't have high major kind of size or at least, you know, something close to high major size and athleticism to hang. Like you look at some of the teams that have had upsets. Um, it's really good guards, but it's also teams that usually have just like one or two front court guys that can hang with the front courts of, of the high major team. That's just the one thing that the Stony Brook team is missing. But, uh, you know, I would say they don't have one good guard, have three. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And, and hopefully it's a win where, or it's a game where the Gators get a win and then Stony Brook goes on and, and you know, maybe wins the America East, beats Vermont a couple of times, and that helps out the Gators numbers because uh, I really do have a lot of respect for them. Yeah, should should be a good game. These are the kinds of games that, that I think Florida might want to consider scheduling more. This is maybe a conversation for our post-Stony Brook, you know, let's take inventory of where we are before SEC play podcast because I kind of think, like, looking at an LSU – um, Florida still can be somewhat over ambitious, uh, in how they schedule, um, right now. And, and I'm not saying that, look, I mean, if they win the Texas Southern game, maybe we're not even having this conversation because they're nine and two, 10 and two, if they beat Stony Brook would look a lot different than that nine and three with that albatross loss. Um, you know, and they lost to Maryland by what, two points Maryland scored on their last possession. Florida didn't. You know, Maryland made a lot of ridiculous shots. Uh, Florida didn't. <laughs> so, um, but the reality is they lost Texas Southern game on their home floor. It's probably worth two seed lines right now. Uh, can't take another one of those home L's. So, um, got to be ready to play on Wednesday and then a tough, tough SEC opener, I think, on the road in Oxford. Yeah, actually, like, I, you know, obviously when the schedule was announced, I looked at it and I wrote about it and kind of where I thought, the, that Florida's you know schedule was going to go but obviously teams always end up being a little bit different than, than what you expect so Jake Winderman messaged me and was like hey have you thought about those first four games of the schedule for the Gators it's actually like really tough and um it's definitely tougher than you know what I what I expected um before the season so it's like man this is kind of one last opportunity for the Gators to get right I would say particularly on the on the offensive end um but uh you know defense as well and and again I even wonder like does like, like, well, I guess we'll see what Brandon McKissick's situation is, but if he has, you know, any tenderness in that army fell on, does, does he play? Do they rest him? But uh, whatever it is, yeah, the, the SEC season's coming. So uh, uh, I, 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 that's kind of also too, I'm just like, do I want to see Colin Castle post up a whole bunch and, you know, go for 26 or 27 points? Um, I think he totally could. Um, but uh, you look at Ole Miss on the schedule, you look at Alabama and Auburn and LSU coming and it's just like, Oh man, that's um, you know, that that's that's going to be a tough one and and especially some of those teams that are that are really good defensively. Yeah, I mean Florida has to have this game because the first I don't think anybody in the country has a tougher first five games of conference play than than the Gators do. Like I think I mean I sh maybe not even first five, like I think Florida's January is just brutal. Um and so you know, can't afford to drop a a bye game against a good team from the America East and one that obviously like could help your computer numbers a little bit by the end of the season, the way that they're, they're starting to play. Uh, so we will see, we will be back with you before Christmas, get a quick turnaround on the, the Stony Brook game and, and preview Ole Miss. So um, thanks for listening. Go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts.